0: When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Hello, good
1: morning, good morning, good morning. How are you feeling after Christmas? I can tell you in my case there is belly where there was never belly before and I'm proud of it. It was well earned. A special programme today, your favourite moment of the year as voted by the listeners of the Midlands Today Show... For instance, for all of his immense achievements in the world of politics, Brian Cowan struck a chord when he described his biggest ambition as being able to walk his daughter down the aisle. When Father Ray Kelly, fresh from his 70th birthday, recalled his meteoric rise to fame, thanks to YouTube and Simon Cowell and some lucky dancing shoes. That and so much more to come over the next two hours. Brian Cowan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Why Paul Brady, to kick off our conversation?
2: Well, I always liked his stuff. In the time he he had, he was with the Johnsons originally, and then he had a great LP with Andy Irvine. And then he's almost like Dylan. He went electric, mm. and uh, he, he 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 went another route, and he was very good at that as well. Some great songs in that era of his life you like and um, I've always liked him I've always I thought he's he had that uh, northern twang Straban um but very much uh, a guy who, who never engaged in ambivalence about violence or anything like that he was, wrote songs mm. like that one which are very reflective of the vast majority of people north and south, which is that uh, there's a need to, to know your neighbour, as the fellow says, and get on with life and, and live and let live, and uh, regardless of your, of your um, personal politics or ideas.
1: Well, we know you're a man who can very
2: much into myself.
1: You know, we know you're a man who can hold a tune yourself. Even last year at the FLA for the launch, I think we heard you belt out a tune or two. So, how big a part is music in your downtime?
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's important to have in the background <laughs> all the time, and in, in a way, um, unfortunately, I don't think. I've moved with the times totally. <laughs> my 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 um, preferences are still with some of the artists with which I grew up with, mm-hmm. rather than even though the ones there are ones there at the moment that play that play good music, obviously. And, but the younger generation would have their their own preferences, which wouldn't coincide with my own. But I think we all find that when we get a bit older. Um, there is some stuff you'd like, some some stuff, but in the main the LP set or the what I what I listen
1: to are, are ones that I bought a long time ago. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of downtime, yeah. people will know you had some enforced downtime uh in hospital for the guts of twelve months. Yeah. How are you doing now? I'm doing great, thanks very much.
2: Um, it, it the length of time in hospital was a long time—twelve months, a long time—and um, things happened while I was hospital. Even though it was very near the end, of my late mother passed on. I had to—I was home for the last few days of her her life, and. Um, so that was a big move. That was a big change, apart from the physical challenges. Um, but I'm I'm in great form. I mean, I had very lucky. I mean, the type of stroke I had. I mean, unfortunately, as I was told later, three out of four don't make it, and even of the of the one out of four that remain, many of them don't recover to the extent that there were there before so mm-hmm. it was a pretty serious uh, situation but thankfully with, with great help from, from, from the medics and the hospital staff and indeed um, people like speech, speech therapists and, and physiotherapy and etc both St Vincent's and in Donnybrook afterwards I um, I overcame a lot of it. Um, So that, so that mentally and in that way, uh, my conversation came back, and the the loss of words that I had that I couldn't, Mm. certain, I would be held up in conversation a lot. All that thankfully has uh, dissipated. So I've I've made a great recovery, mentally, and. I'm very grateful for that. The physical side of things is slower. I mean, you you make most of your recovery after, say, six, nine months. And then what you get after that is based on your constant repetition, basically. Um, well, you came in here under your own power. Oh, yeah. I come with my own power with a with stick and that, but the basic paralysis that was caused on the stroke on my right side has not left me Um, and really what you're trying to do is awaken your nervous system again and hopefully your brain um, that part of your brain that was um, flooded if you like uh, when when I had the um, the problem um, you're hoping it regenerates or in fact they find out that even if some parts of it don't totally regenerate, other parts of the, of the brain take over those functions or get you to a point where you have functional uh, improvement at least if not total rectification of the whole thing. So mm. that's what I'm, I'm at very much now, my physical rehabilitation but as you say i can i'm able to walk about if if a little slowly and not totally um oh uh hundred percent but we're getting there and uh, as i say i have a a, pri- a, a sort of a family uh, commitment coming up um towards the end of the year my eldest daughter is marrying and um we delighted about that, obviously, and uh, I would hope to discharge the father, their paternal functions well mm. on that day, like walking around the aisle. So having the, that... That's to, a goal. A uh, mm. goal in the back of your head as fixed time at the end of the year is something that keeps me very active in making that a successful day and one that we can all recall. Uh, in the future with with, with uh,
1: full satisfactions. So. Well, no, that's you, really you've great. retained your mental agility. <laughs> so how do you... But tell the truth more often, is that <laughs> <laughs> How do you put in your days? How do you stay stimulated for a man who was as busy and as engaged? Well, as I you mean, were?
2: I've always been um, a, a, a purveyor of... of uh, What's going on in the world, not just at home but all over the place, and really obviously being a favorite with all that now with the internet and everything and uh, took took me a while to get back reading to the extent that I did in the past um, what do you read well i I read a lot of biography and um uh, a lot of that sort of I have a, I have a a room at home and <laughs> can't get in or out of it with books, and it's, it's where I like to go, listen to some music and mm. have a read. Uh, on some of the winter, the wintry days, but to that extent, that that is still a work in progress for me, if you like, in terms of getting back to the extent I was doing those things before. But I, 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 I mean what's happening in the media and radio and television, uh, all those. There's so many outlets now. I mean, I have some sympathy for any communications guys who are in the business. say so You're saying, well, what's my competition? It's everything. It's, it's your social media and your competitive media and the radio and you have your national uh and as we've seen, they all have their problems from yeah. the time uh, to <laughs> time. So I'm glad to
1: say Radio 3 is holding its own. Well, I was with about the to say, people. media is very fragmented, yes. but local is always compelling. Yes. And there are only so many local outlets. So we're, we are blessed to have an audience. And you're listening to a repeat broadcast of our interview with former Taoiseach Brian Cowan. From July 3rd of this year. Next, his interests apart from politics, while well, there are many music being one, sport is the other.
0: It's time for the latest community diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest
3: established, and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. On today's Community Diary, LOETB drop-in clinics for form-filling and digital online support are available every Monday in Tullamore Library from 10am until 12 noon and Portleach Library every Tuesday from 10am until 12 noon. It's a free and confidential service and no appointment is needed as this is a drop-in service. Ross Core Clinic treats and supports RSV, flu, pneumonia, bronchitis COPD as well as a range of digestive issues, skin muscle and joint problems, cancer support, plus women's, men's children's and infants' health. With evening appointments available, contact Emmett Walsh or Eva on 057 93 or online at medicalherbalist.ie Want to brush up on your writing, maths or computer skills? Contact your local adult learning services at 057 86 61338 for Leash or 057 for Offley. See LOETB on Facebook. Community Diary can be viewed on our website midlands103.com and if you would like to use the diary then please call 0818 300 103 or email diary at midlands103.com The Community Diary
0: with thanks to Tormies solicitors experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis Tormies.ie Midlands Today with Bus Erin, Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Éireann services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today. Apart from
1: politics, sport yes. is the other great interest. Of
2: course, and uh, awfully thankfully we've, I'm glad the younger generation are having awfully teams to follow again. Mm. It's great excitement the last couple of years with minor herders no and under 20 herders this year and we, of course we had uh, under 20 footballers a couple of years ago so
1: and hopefully that filters in through into yeah, senior it'll
2: take some time it's not going to happen you know these things don't turn over immediately Um, but they've given great encouragement to that generation to continue with their interest in football and it's Giving a great uh, example to young lads coming up, young people coming up. Uh, the fact that there is a, a good development too of the ladies' game, um, both in relation to association football, but um, hurling camogie and camogie and, and, and ladies' football. So I think those are those are changes I've seen which are welcome, um, and I think getting people to participate and people realize now how important it is I mean when we went through the whole COVID uh, problems a couple of years ago people got back into basic um, exercise issues from a health point of view from a mental health point of view as well as being physically Mm. active never were so many dogs walked I never never in the history have there been so many dogs walked I'm not alone walked but actually accompanied while they were walking mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past they were walking around like um, but it's great you know that, all these are good things that happened and I think um what happened during that time too it reminded people to get back to the basic players it you know it didn't have to be a sun holiday somewhere it was a few days here and a few days there and different parts of the country and getting around to neighbours and friends
1: and, and being a bit more community conscious. Yeah, we had the community call, Yes, and which people that, answered very well to exactly, look after neighbours. Exactly. So, I mean,
2: I think that it's uh, these are things um, which from time to time get an emphasis or get a, a bit of a boost and people see that all these things matter. And matter to the extent that we can't expect. Oh, there's someone looking after that. You know, we 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 have basic responsibilities ourselves. Whether it's our own kids, or whether it's our neighbours, or whether it's helping out in a voluntary capacity in local organisations, in sporting organisations, in scouting, or whatever it is, the the the, the, uh, the payback you get from it is the enjoyment and the engagement with between generations between people of different age groups Um, now that we've had for example we have uh, I think it's a great thing to see in addition to what we have in Borough Arts we have the Tullamore Arts Centre now the opportunity for again the community to use that facility to allow local talent to show and grow and prosper and and improve one's 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 culture as well as uh, other experiences. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's you know there's so many positive things, and even if things are, own, are half full rather than half empty. You know that in itself can give you a different attitude for life around you than the idea that you're waiting for the glass to be full, it's never, probably never going to fill. I mean, that's the reality. It's our own intuition and uh, local genius that will bring great, greater satisfaction anyway if we use these things to our benefit. So I think in fairness to uh, all of those people in our community who put their head up, if you like, put their hand up for those res- no, to be in charge of those type of activities because they want the community to to benefit There it be a sorry, let it be a you know, a sporting organization as I said, or an athletic club or the tennis club or whatever. If you go around you write down here all of the activities that take place mm. in this town or in this county and then spread it to the three counties. I mean, you'd be here for a week. One thing that that
1: that. has changed since your time in politics, though, so whether you are a public representative, whether you are in the club, Mm. whether you're that uh, Tidy Towns organization, the amount of public commentary has intensified because of social media, Twitter, Facebook, all of these forums on which people can express their views Um. What's and we're hearing of even people not putting their name on ballot papers now because of the yeah, intense yeah. scrutiny. If well, you could do it all again, would you go into politics? I would, I think, if I go back to that time.
2: No, but I mean now, in my, in li- in in this my life di- now, yes, I would be politically active, whatever in whatever capacity, whether it be a, as a participant or an activist or whatever. Yes, I'm interested in what goes on in my country, who runs my country, who gets support to do the job that needs to be done. And there's always a view on all that, and that's fair enough. But um, I think, you know, (laughs) people need to uh, look at all these things from a positive point of view. There's so much, you know, it's almost hip to be negative. It's almost hip now not to have a view which is shared by others. Um, social media, for example, it's a good thing. It can be a terrible thing. But if people take on the responsibility of saying, hey, if I'm going to use this, I'm not going to do it in such a way as to make little of someone or to call someone out pro- improperly or accuse people, all that negative stuff. People don't need it anyway, don't people are not interested what they want is someone that could give a bit of encouragement a bit of purpose uh, a, a bit of direction something that's of of interest and benefit that I would you know get on with it, life and say, right, and say right that was good that was mm. you know entertaining or whatever it was that's what we just I just feel you know so many things are used by people in a negative way. And if they put even a tenth of their energy into doing something positive and, and changing something that they're indignant about or feel wrong or whatever, I mean, they use our cop on. I mean, we don't, we don't need this constant stream of negative. You don't need it. No one wants it. Well, that's not to say you can't call out a problem when there
1: is a problem or whatever, but you've also got to come with a solution. Well, yeah, it's akin to our conversation about exactly. sport. There will always be the armchair manager. Oh, no, no shortage and, of them. and now they have more forum than ever to, to say what they want to say. You mentioned the Arts Centre in Tullamore, which um, I suppose that was one of the seeds you planted in your final years. What other loose ends, if any... you have and I'm not talking on the national stage but locally
2: well there will always be an agenda or a list of items to be done or to be worked on no matter what period you pick whether it's now or 10 years ago or 40 years ago (laughs) Um, housing is a huge issue being able to house people now. What I was saying to myself when I am retired, what, what is it I can do but this? For example, for the people who are totally uh, in many cases a, a person who is destitute or has addiction problems or whatever, I was asked to to um, go on the board of Simon Community in the Midlands. Mm. And I've done that, and continue to continue to do it. And it's doing some excellent work. It really is doing good work. It makes a difference. Um, and in recent years, has worked with a a group called Sophia. It's a uh, an organization that does work for for people seeking housing in Dublin city, the inner cities for example. And we've been able to work with them, and there will be very good developments in that area, in the Midlands, um, overcoming, let's say, between now and the end of the year. And that's a great thing. And you might be involved in that and do something about it. Instead of listening to 50 of them on the, on the news, local
1: and national Given off about her. Uh, no, but you sometimes know, you anyway, have that's to, that's that. Sometimes you still have to beat the drum. So Tony you O'Reardon, know, I,
2: I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, in any way casting aspersions on the general advocacy That has to be done, but mm. you know you've got to do something as well. Anyway, that's my point. I was going it's to say, I was going to say Tony
1: O'Reardon though, who's the CEO well, of, of Midland Simon, <laughs> yeah. talks about how the money spent in the Midlands yeah. per head is, is lower than anywhere else in yes. the country and that is, is, is it a is. credit in some ways but also it needs to change.
2: It is but what it points out is this it's not so much that we need more money and we do it's the fact that no one says well hold on are there other parts of the country where they're spending on off not more money than that and aren't even doing what we're doing with less money mm. no one asks that question That's it's not the assumption that, oh, that means you have to get another five billion to do this. You don't, you don't have to go into big monies at all to do very, very specific things that would be of benefit to people who need it now. Now, there's another thing I'm involved in, which is again premature to talk about at the moment, but this whole question of providing. More options for people than the existing options that exist to help people move into a home, their home, or move into buying a house, helping them, giving them a, another option that isn't there at the moment. Now, what do I mean by that is that there are funding where you get a, a loan from the bank or business that's one way, and then but we have a, there's another idea that we can bring to the table. Which will be of some. All it does is increases options, and the first next question people ask is, well, "How many thousand people will that help?" I don't know how many it'll help, but I know it's going to help a fair few, and it should be about ensuring that the money that people spend presently on rent, and then they're expected to save money, which is. So much for a deposit. And then there's some, I mean, Central you know, bank rules, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to, uh, to meet all these hurdles the way they're set up at the moment. But if. And there are working on an idea where your rent money, you move into the house, and the rent money could well be used against. As you're basically uh, building equity mm. in your in the home by the use of your rent money, which at the moment is money that just goes without any benefit to yourself mm. as regards being able to get equity sufficient to enable you to get a loan. Now that there's a there is an element in there that um will provide another option for people who may find themselves in that situation. I think it can have... I can see a lot of practical effect. Um, But again, it doesn't suit everyone, but it's another way in for people to get into a home. Um, So those are the two areas I'm involved in. and An area that I know is problematic, I'm no longer an active person going to Dollar and focusing on the policy I think the President's Minister is providing plenty of um, improvements and I know it's inadequately uh, capacity is the problem at the moment, can you build enough of houses at the moment they're building whatever it is 35,000 or 40,000 a year if they if they can even if they get to that point it'll still take a number of years before that will resolve itself but again, it's about making a contribution towards solving the problem. It's a far better way of my spending my time than being a, a sort of half-redundant commentator talking about what's, what the problems are. We know what the problems are. Sure, if everyone knows what the problem is. But you've got to come up with ideas to solve them. And work with other people who would have, hopefully access to some funds becoming available that are substantial in helping people into that area. So again it's very much um, an area I'm interested in in helping to come up with a solution that even if it's solves it for X number of people per year that's a, as far as I'm concerned better than not doing it at all. So these are sort of areas that we look at and that I've engage myself in um, participating with people, coming up with a solution to it. And not talking about it, and just talking about it here with you in a general way as you come up in the conversation. But it's an example of how, with the experience one had in the past, one can bring it to bear in a way that at the moment, for a number of reasons, can't be provided by the existing providers, if you know what I mean.
1: Well, hope to hear more on that when you are able to talk in more detail. Once again, you're listening to a repeat of our interview with former Taoiseach Brian Cowan, originally broadcast on July 3rd.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Erin, Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Éireann services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today. And so to the final
1: segment of our conversation with Brian Cowan as he looks very much to the future. Will, not politically inclined, but great to hear that Brian is doing so well. It's a message here with no name on it. Um, many of these names he recognises. Pauline in Cooling Highly. Yeah. Um, Anne in Leash. Joe Walsh. Philly. And uh, the list goes on. Oh, yes. Jim and Jimmy Mullins and Arthur McGillis in Horsley. Spot on. You must have the electoral register memorised, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it has given me the
2: opportunity to meet a lot of people over a lot of years. Some of whom, unfortunately, are through to return to Um It's been. A, I've. It. It has been a great. Um, when I think about it, politics has been a great way of making friends right across the political spectrum, regardless of politics. I'm just very interested in in the whole thing and and recognising that you know, a lot of people have have other political choices but we can meet from time to time and meet with people who can discuss these things civilly and um, in a way which is interesting for both for both of
1: us mm. and
2: um, I think that's the way things should be.
1: Can we talk about some of the names you've met over the years and we'll play a little game yeah, of okay. word association okay. and I haven't given Brian these names in advance but tell me a word or a phrase that springs to mind when you hear Tony Blair um,
2: you know, It's very very genuine man um, this man who has got a lot of controversy in britain you know over things which are nothing to do with irish affairs but i found him always to be a person who was again interested in solving problems mm. um there are a lot of people in politics who sound very impressive speakers and it's very important to have that, orators. Tony Blair was interested in solving the problem. And in Bertie Ahern, who was teaching at the time, he found a soulmate who was also interested in solving problems. And both of them, because of their consummate expertise at politics, were critical. I mean, to have those two guys at that time. Because going into that Good Friday Agreement discussions, you will recall when the first draft was put down to the parties the reaction in unionism was vociferous vociferously against it was amongst the official unionist party John Taylor spoke with not touching it with a 50, yard, 50 foot pole um, David Trimble talking about it didn't see much point in hanging around. I mean, now you have to allow for a little bit of gamesmanship going on Mm. in all of these initial positions.
1: Mm. By the way, is it true, famous story, that you turned to Gerry Adams and Mark McGuinness at one point when they said they needed to consult the IRA and told them to go into the bathroom because there was a mirror in there?
2: No, that that related to a meeting I had with Martin McGuinness in a bedroom in the Ravensdale Hotel, when I was doing a job for Albert Reynolds at the time, bringing a message to to uh, Martin or to um, Martin Martin McGuinness and Martin saying to me, "I would have to go to the area to discuss this." And I said, "Martin, just a T-shirt. I had to go back to t with a response." give me an initial, give me some view. He said, oh, you know you have to talk. So he was um, holding to the position that this would have to be discussed. As we used to say, around the tractor, because <laughs> there was some talk at the time that they'd be all sitting down around the tractor and the thing would be going out so that no one could pick up what mm. say were Anyway, I said, Martin, uh, Going the Jack there, there's a mirror. Let me know what the IRA think when you come up. Well, anyway, that was, how I did he suggest. react? How did he react? Well, we smiled. Okay.
1: Okay. He had a sense of humour. Do um, you feel we're regressing in those relations between here and the six counties in Britain? What's that? Do you feel we're regressing in our north-south no, relations? I don't think we
2: we're regressing. I think we're not making the progress we should be making. I think you know, enough people put the same amount of effort into it as the original people did. Um, and we have a situation in unionism at the moment that's a bit frayed at the edges, but it'll hopefully sort itself out. It usually allows for a bit of time uh-huh. and then people get back to business. But the point I was making before that you mentioned oh, sorry, you mentioned Tony Blair. Yeah, he he was very impressive. And I remember on one occasion in in um, one of our meetings in Western Park it was when there was a meeting, and all the parties were there and Seamus Mann who was probably the person I was closest to in politics as regards Northern Ireland, both temperamentally and consci- and 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 um, from a point of view of his thinking, closest to what I would think myself. He uh, was very upset with. The progress made on policing which was not solved the day of of Good Friday by as people a lot of that discussion took place and right up to my time as Taoiseach actually it was only resolved then but when James Brown threatened to walk out of Western Park if the Brits didn't move on the policing issue and um, I remember saying to Tony Blair by the way, if that man walks, I'm walking too. I'm not sticking around. And I was representing the Irish government at that because P- Bertie had to go home to Ireland to a uh, a stupid case that had come out of, You know, he was dealing with at home. Anyway, mm. I said, I'm going. And to Tony Blair's um, eternal credit, he sat down in a room with me, then he brought Seamus Mann in, discussed the problem, and it was solved sufficiently to allow the matter progress the next mm. scenes. So,
1: problem solver, that's so what springs exactly, to mind. Okay. problem solver. Here's another name. Mary Lou MacDonald. I don't know Mary Lou personally. I've
2: met her a couple of times. Um, what do I say? Well, I I am... Um, I um, what I'd say. I, I have nothing bad to say about anyone. Um,
1: oh, my God. How do you think she'll do as Taoiseach if she's elected? Oh, if elected.
2: If she's elected. I would have a go as anyone else who got it, including myself. <laughs> you don't know how you'll do it. You win, win for the job. It's a very, very... Um, Tough job. It's a very difficult job. A party leader is a tough job. Of course, you even get to, mm. to run a country. what you do? It depends very much on who's in that government with her and what policies they have. I, I can't be any more specific than that. But I don't. I don't wish ill of any parties. Mm.
1: Well, here's the name you're more familiar with, Mehol Martin. Yeah, no we well. So what words or phrase would spring to mind? He has
2: an eternal font of patience. <laughs> I think of patience when I think of my man, because there are times in the past where he's had to listen to thunder outside from and sometimes inside from his parametric party and he's had to Um, deal with matters very adroitly and diplomatically Um, but uh, a very genuine worker for the people he represents, very sincere at what he does Um, and a good colleague although we had a difference of opinion near the end but Mm we had uh, it never was personal with me it's always business i don't think any personal slights. some people disagree or move, want to move out or whatever
1: did he rush um, to judgment on barry cohen dismissing him as agriculture minister
2: I, it's i'm not the best person to ask for an objective view <laughs> i'm very much on barry's side there but um that's past, there's nothing mm. we can do about it now
1: Future, let's well, drop the I, name
2: association the future, what? I'd like to think he's, he's still, if he was qualified to be a minister then I don't see any reason why he wouldn't at least be considered in the future mm. yes, I would expect he'd be considered, whether he ever gets that um, job you have to be a lot of things have to go in your favour but he's, he's um I think he everyone would know him to be a straight shooter. He's, you know, he's my brother, and uh, as long as his name is on the ballot, everyone knows what what my work would be would be to help him in every way you can. But as I say, I'm not in the position where. I can influence any such Mm. decisions, nor
1: would I be asked nor should I be asked. Well, I think we have a flavour of your... I think we have a flavour of your future. You have projects in a voluntary capacity that are keeping you interested. You have a big family occasion towards the end of the year. Mm. You've retained your interest in sport and in music and, of course, in politics. And, Brian Cowan, you seem to be well. So, we wish you the best.
2: Thanks very much. I'm also on a the Beacon Board, there in the hospital I'm a good interest in health, still, and uh, I'm delighted with the way things have worked out here in the Midlands. We've good facilities in all of our centres, and the best of luck to everyone who works there to do great work. And the people of the of the area depend on these facilities, and are most appreciative of them. and uh,
1: How may that continue. Brian Cowan, thank you very much. Thank you. And rarely these days does Brian Cowan give interviews, so we're grateful to him for making time during the year, and we wish him and his family all the best into the future. Let's change from the world of politics to entertainment, and in the next hour, a man who turned 70 this year, who was one of the stars on Dancing with the Stars pre-COVID, who stood in front of Simon Cowell and wowed him, which is no easy achievement, and who now calls County Offaly his home. That's on the way after the news at 11.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Erin, Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Éireann services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today. You are
1: listening to a recap of the Midlands Today show from 2023. Some of the best interviews and most talked about moments. And in the last hour, it was Brian Cowan. This time, a man who took entertainment and music by the scruff of the neck when he was in his 60s when he was already very much immersed in his vocation as parish priest of Old Castle in County Meath, a man whose version of hallelujah for a wedding couple went viral on YouTube and so catapulted him to fame, if not fortune. He was in front of Simon Cowell. He was in front of Brian Redmond on Dancing with the Stars. And in July, Father Ray Kelly was in front of me.
4: I reached the big magical age of 70 there on April the 25th last, so uh, I really wanted to retire but Bishop Tom wasn't having it, so I said, well, I'm not starting off in a new parish at 70 years of age. I said, I'll help out guys
1: anywhere you want, wherever you want, and this is where he landed me. Excellent. Well, I must say, there must be something in the holy water because you've held up very well for a man of 70 yeah, years. Yeah, I
4: still have no grey ones yet, but uh, I don't know. And people say, well, what colour do you put? Do you dye your hair? You have a lovely colour in your hair. I say, I don't put a colour in my hair. <laughs> but anyway, that's the way it is. And the voice, of course, still... The voice is together, pretty good still, yeah. Mm. The voice is pretty good still, yeah. Still have, still get work in America. Let's just turn back the clock.
1: A little over ten years now. And when you were at that wedding and the video was captured and it ended up catapulting you to, I think, nearly 100 million views? Over around the 90, I think, at the minute, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's crazy,
4: yeah. Well, I, I imagine between various accounts it's nearly... Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Did it, you know what you were up to?
4: I hadn't a clue. I had not a clue. I'd sung the Hallelujah song version before many times at weddings. And this particular time, you know, I had said to the couple again, sure, I'll sing a song for you and I'll song for you. And they said, they looked at me like as though was is he off his rocker? What's he on about? This was at the wedding rehearsal. Mm. And, uh, but sure, I presume the message got through and I started singing Hallelujah and that was fine. I thought no more about it. a few people, maybe a dozen or two dozen people stood up in the church at the end of it. Uh, the bride was a bit teary. Uh, Leah, Leah Crow was her name and Chris, Chris was the husband and, uh, they were v- looking at each other in, in, uh, in shock almost and then the group that were singing the music f- at the wedding were in shock as well and, uh, that was the end of it, as far as I thought, until the following Tuesday morning, I got an email from Chris and Leah to tell me they're on their way to Mexico on their honeymoon. And they said, by the way, this is the Hallelujah video is up on YouTube. And uh, um, that was it. And I just sent me the link, and I watched it. And I said, God, I swear, where did that come from? Because I genuinely, there was two cameras in the church that day, which I didn't realize either, you know. And, uh, you know, so the next thing the phone started ringing, Father Ray, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're on YouTube. <laughs> and it just kept going on and on and on like that all day and all week and indeed all year, you know. Uh, and what I, a journey it has been since Yeah, then. it's been kind of mad since, you know. Been, I mean, it changed my life
1: completely, you know. Absolutely. Well, we have to hear it. And then we'll go back to the future.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Erin, Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Aran services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today.
1: In July, we sat down with Father Ray Kelly, star of Britain's Got Talent and Dancing with the Stars, and he was all over YouTube, of course, where his fame began. But he was first known to people as a priest on the altar, and even before that, as a gossip, the love of music was instilled in him. Let's find out more. Music was,
4: my mother loved to sing and my father loved to sing and play the accordion, so my brother plays music, my sisters had a good voice. So it was kind of all from there, really, the music was very much ingrained in our lives, you know, from growing up as kids, yeah, 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 yeah. And when did you decide that you were called to a vocation? Well, you see, I worked, I remember, I worked in the civil service for about 10 or 11 years, from 1970 to 1982. And uh, I remember even before I did the Leaving Cert, I was thinking about priesthood and... I remember, you know, the way they used to, these were different religious orders used to call to, to schools and that kind of thing. And, uh, one particular order called to the school and I we went to Rochford Bridge Secondary School at the time, which was just a few miles from Terrell's Pass. And they called and we, you know, I leaving Sir Class, you're brought in and you listen to the priest or whatever talking about mission and life and all that. And, uh, Then he leaves documents there to fill up and if you'd like to show interest and I didn't show any interest at all but for somehow he comes back to me maybe two or three months later and has my name. And I said, well, I didn't feel up. So somebody, some smart boys, obviously, put my name down, <laughs> you know, instead of their own, you know. So maybe they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I don't know. But anyway, we chatted and I, it, it aroused interest in me. But it, kind of that was as long, as good as it got. Yeah, you parked it. Yeah, I parked it, really. And then I got a job in the civil service. and
1: Doing anything exciting? Uh, no,
4: in accounts in the Department of Defense in Glasnevin in Dublin. And, uh, then I was always interested in music as well. I did a bit of voice coaching in Dublin, the, the, the College of Music there, voice training, and I used to go into with friends bring them to the pub and maybe if there was a talent competition on or something like that might enter it and i might win and i might lose and it was always audience voting so the bigger crowd you brought the, the better chance you had mm-hmm. basically you know mm-hmm. so um yeah that was kind of interesting and then i remember back in 1980 80, john paul came to ireland and it was a great experience the pope and uh, the following year a group of us went over to rome to thank him as well and um, I always kind of claimed that, really, to some way where my vocation came from. Because I remember coming back... From did the, you meet him? Oh, we did, yeah. We actually met him. He presented me with a rosary beads. I sung Danny Boy at a concert for him. And, uh, you know, that
1: was in the Castle Gandolfo, where his summer residence was. What was your impression? Because in those days, he was still very fit and very energetic. Oh, he was. Yeah.
4: He was only newly Pope at that stage. So he was very energetic and full of vibrancy, and and uh, he could, you see, saw how he could relate to the young people very, very well, and the young people were drawn in by him as well, you know, which was was very much very magical, really. But uh, he, um, yeah, it was, it was from that then experience of going there and coming back and sort of starting to pray a little bit and go to mass a bit more regularly. They had kind of given up on it for a few years, like everybody else. And uh then I started then I started thinking about looking at the priest up there in the altar. Just thoughts came into my head about Ray and uh, can he even repeat the words that there were there were just say like Ray, you could be up there doing what he's doing. And that was it. And I kind of you know, you kind of question it and you say, What the hell is going on in my head at all, you know? And uh but it kind of went away for a while then and you, and then you said to yourself, Ah, yeah, it's only imagination, you mm-hmm. know. But then You'd get disappointed when it was gone for a while. And you kind of say, and then it'll come back. It was like a, t- a tug of war going on in your head, uh, trying to make a decision. And I suppose it gets to a stage where you have to ask somebody what's going on. So I talked to a couple of spiritual directors about it. And from there, they reckoned maybe I have a vocation, maybe I don't. And I didn't want to join anywhere in Dublin because I had worked in Dublin for 11 years and I was too close to friends and stuff like that. So I eventually ended up joining the St. Patrick's Missionary Society in Kiltegan in County Wicklow where my mum's first cousin was a priest there already. So I studied there from 1982 to 89 and was ordained then for the Diocese of Zanin in South Africa.
1: So you would have been in your mid thirties being
4: ordained. I was, uh, yes, I was ordained. What us see say? Uh, yeah, I was ordained in
1: eighty nine. So I was thirty six. Yeah, I was thirty six years of age when I was ordained. And once you made that plunge and commitment, did the hesitations and the doubts evaporate completely? Uh, more or less. But you, there's always doubts. There's always doubts. You know. I remember. I mean,
4: I, I mean, I suppose the big fear was starting to study again at twenty eight years of age, going into but. the society there where i joined it was more um there wasn't pressure on studies there was more pressure on not really pressure at all but you know whatever standard you set in examinations they asked you just to maintain that standard even if it was only 20 percent if you got 90 percent maintain that standard so you know i suppose i was middle in between really Mm -hmm. you know and there was no real pressure on exams either. You know, you could... The, the, Norm used to give us the questions before we'd, we'd actually go into the exam and we'd have them studied and all to write about them and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was very easy in that sense. Then there was a huge emphasis on social work as well. The social, You know, the, uh, not as much of the academic priest, but more the priest who goes out there and meets people and mixes with people, can communicate with people um, and... Uh, not be afraid to laugh at yourself, basically, for want of a better word. Because when you're learning a language, believe you me, <laughs> you do laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. And the young people who are trying to teach a language laugh at you quite a lot as well. So so it was good good in that sense, you know. So, so yeah, I'm uh, just
1: trying to imagine the reaction of uh, a 36-year-old Father Ray emerging from Kiltegan, not wanting to have lived in Dublin any longer, and then South Africa is thrust upon you. Then South Africa thrust upon me. And, yeah, it was... Um,
4: Myself and a friend of mine were in together and we went out there in 1989, as I said, and uh, I was learning the language. It was the Soutu language. There's about five languages in the parish. There was Afrikaans, there was um, Zulu, there was Hosa, there was Suta, Northern Soutu, which was the one I was learning, and English as well. So um, a lot of them spoke English anyway, so... But it was important when you go out to the um, sort of shanty towns and the rural townships that you would be able to at least greet the people in mm. their own native language because, you remember, you were white and they were black and there was always that tension of white-black there. Even though
1: you were a priest? Even though I
4: was a priest, yeah, yeah, even though I was a priest, yeah. I mean, they would ha- question, what's this white guy doing in our village, you know? And you'd introduce yourself. But you'd always have a catechist or somebody whom you got to know and he would be with you, sort of to direct you and int- uh, introduce you and stuff like that, you know. So, um, like I remember one experience. It was in a village called Matutu Matupa, which is way out in the bush, and I was driving a baccy at that time, going out to, say, Mass or something, and um, four or five young lads gathered around the baccy. They were going to steal it off me because and, and, they just didn't know who I was and maybe beat me up, I don't know. But um, luckily, one of the young lads who went to church there came running, and save me, kind of explained to them who I was and that kind of thing, you know, so but yeah, there was a lot of tension there because as I said, they didn't trust you because you were white really and it was, you know, still very much, even though Mandela had been released from prison in that year of 189, February of 189 but uh, there was still a huge mistrust, apartheid was, I suppose, a thought like once he was out and he became president of the country eventually that, you know a magic wand could be waved mm. over the country mm. and everything would be fine. It didn't turn out no, like so that. Social so change
1: takes longer,
4: it of takes course, a long, long time. You know.
1: So you had gone from the relative comfort of the civil service and the certainty of it to this very unpredictable situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was like, like in a sense we had a
4: great. We, I was with three or four other priests and we were learning the language. And but my time was cut short there in a sense of because I was only two and a half months there when. And that, you have to remember, this time there was no mobile phones. So to make a phone call home to Ireland could have been maybe like 15, 20 euro equivalent in the, the rand or mm. whenever the currency was there. So it was quite expensive. So you depended a lot on letters and email. Even emails didn't exist. So you can imagine, like, you know, how we have changed in in... Such a, like, oh, instant connectedness, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, anyway, the phone. we eventually got a phone call from home from my mother to say my dad wasn't well. And he, we didn't know what was wrong. He'd fallen, got into the bath one night, thought he was getting back into the bed after going to the toilet. And he was trying to take the, the top of the range cooker off with his finger oh, and God love him. fell in the yard. And we eventually discovered it was a brain tumour and he was operated on an... Bowman Hospital. I got home, I came home for it because the doctor recommended I come home. And I came home and he died on the 14th of February 1990, which was, you know, um, just six or eight weeks after, even though he was given nine months. So I stayed home with my mum and organised everything with her for a couple of months and then I went back. And I was only back three months learning the language again when the phone rang again. It was my mother, she was in intensive care, uh, touch and go. And I genuinely didn't know what to do because um, I felt guilty about going home again because we weren't supposed to go home for uh, until every three years for a holiday mm. and I felt guilty about it and the parish priest at the time had told me when I came back uh, when he picked me up he says remember you've been home now you won't get home for three years again which was kind of a bit cutting as I thought at the time but uh, I was feeling so guilty I couldn't go home to my mother and eventually Franciscan nuns come in and they knew I was very upset and I explained to them said go and make a phone call now ring up at the airport, book your ticket, go home tonight. And this was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was on a plane at 8 o'clock that night, and the airport was five or six hours away. I remember the guy who drove me never drove as fast in his life to get me to the airport. So I got home, spent a month with my mum. She recovered. She died then in 2004. So it's kind of, it was a hit-and-miss kind of tour for me for the first year. And I went back then for about a year, year and a half after that, and studied a bit more language and... Then I settled into parish life and the other priest who was with, he had to go home then because his mum was dying and so I was in the parish on my own and that was the best experience I had in my life but when he came back then we really didn't see eye to eye at all so um, I decided out so I came home for a while then with a view to going back or to another mission but um, got to work in Ireland then and settled down in Ireland and that's kind of where it all, um, so I was in Navan for nine years and then Muckla for four years and Old Castle for 17 and now back in Cormac Mm. for how long, I don't know. Mm.
1: (laughs) And you are listening to a repeat of our conversation with Father Ray Kelly from The Summer Just Gone. More after these.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Erin Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busaron.ie today.
1: And you are listening to a repeat of our conversation with Father Ray Kelly from The Summer Just Gone. As we've established, you were a man of pretty i suppose contrasting experience your early career was in the civil service then you spent time in south africa and that was very very different to rural tyrell's mm-hmm. Pass where you grew up of course you had lived in dublin as well but can anything prepare you for the bright lights of britain's got talented <laughs> standing before simon
4: cowell and his scowl the god of judges the god of judges that was never really meant to happen i had two years before that happened I had been, I had an agent in London at the time and he asked me to, well, we were invited to take part in a similar experience in Germany. In Germans, that super talent is mm. called or something. So I went over to do that in Bonn, I think it was. And the song they asked me to sing was Love Shine a Light, which is was song or it called? and the Waves. Yeah. It won the Eurovision back in 96 or 95 or 96 mm. or something like that. So anyway, I sung that and, uh, the judges weren't overly impressed with it at all, and um, the audience recognised me and said they could hear the tone. That's the priestess. The priestess sings Hallelujah, and the judges didn't know what was going on, so I explained to them. I says, "Yes, I says I'm on YouTube, with singing a wedding song, Hallelujah." And one of the judges was a, a dancer from America, tall, six foot four, black man, and he just got up and kind of complained, "Hallelujah, Hallelujah, I'm sick of people singing Hallelujah," and I looked at him and said well I didn't sing hallelujah, what are you on you know? and the other head judge then said the Simon Cowell of the judges then said uh, well will you sing it for us and I said well we didn't have that track the other track I had was actually Everybody Hurts hmm. so I, he said will you sing it a cappella without music so I started singing it a cappella half through he held up his hand and he said uh, that's fine now I think that's ok I just don't want to offend my friend here anymore so I walked off the stage and that was it that was a bit deflating. A very deflating. And I said, never, ever again will I go into a reality TV show like that.
1: That <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. worked out.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and then emails started coming from from um, ITV, Fremantle TV and ITV in London. Um, would I be interested in doing it? And I said, no way. And I explained the reason why. And they said, well, what do you think about it. And I says, well, I don't have to. It's not happening. So, well, this is, can we phone you? And I gave them my landline at the time and they phoned me back maybe in a month and says, have you thought about it? And I says, no, it's not happening. And it's like, it's like, um, well, it's like when somebody plants a seed in your head and the only way to get rid of it is do it. So I said, OK, here goes. I went over, didn't tell too many people. I said, I'll be back on the next flight. And the song they picked for me was the song Everybody Hurts. Mm. And it didn't exactly turn out like the way I expected it to. In fact, I thought it was because I remember when I'd finished the last note, there was a pause for about four or five seconds. It seemed longer. And I said, oh, Lord, this is the time to walk off now because this is the German. That was my thought. This is the German experience all over again. And uh, it didn't happen like that. Simon stood up first. The audience, the London Palladium erupted. And the other three judges stood up as well. And, for want of a better words, all hell broke loose after that. <laughs> uh, you breathed some sigh of relief, I imagine. Well, yeah, but I I, actually, I I wasn't nervous singing the song, but I was actually shaking then, because I just didn't know how to react. Mm. You know, I never experienced that before, so I, I genuinely didn't know how
1: to react. And um, What was the reaction back home? And let me just preface this. So... A lot of people would be delighted to see one of our own up on Mm. the international stage Mm. doing well. But there will always be detractors and begrudgers and Mm. was there a certain amount of finger pointing? You should be at home in your parish.
4: Not for that,
1: really, no. Um,
4: Bearing in mind, I did the audition on the 31st of January 2018, so I didn't actually go out on TV until the 23rd of April. So nobody knew, and I couldn't tell anybody what happened. But in the meantime, I'd been over and back to London for three or four months there, doing voice coaching, trying to pick a new song, what I was going to sing, and all of that kind of thing. And I have to say, um, the whole company um, were very, very professional. They flew me over, accommodated me. You know, everything was above board, and it was just a matter of getting time off to do that, really, and I was able to try and fit it in with Parish Life. But... um, no there was no real but when when it did appear on that Saturday night um the papers were full of it, then you know he 's back father a Kelly takes us to heaven, all kinds of mm. all kinds of headlines you know and uh, but there was no real negative negative reaction at all whatsoever because I mean it had a huge impact on a lot of people, like I got emails from all over the world and how it affected them, and one particular lady who and I often tell this story, but she lived somewhere. The email doesn't really tell you exactly where they live, but she wrote to say that she had her suicide letter written and she was up in constant pain for years and she just didn't know where to go. And she had a suicide letter written and for some reason she was up during the night and happened to hit her YouTube and I come on singing everybody hurts. And she says she started crying. And she says, You saved my life. She says, Wow. You know, I mean, well, I, I don't believe I saved her life. That's God. To me, that's the spirit working through me that saved somebody's life. But she now is on medication that can ease her pain a lot. And, you know, but she was quite pre- prepared to end it all. That's just one of many kind of stuff mm. letters. But you connected the at the right moment. Connected obviously. at the right mm. moment. And even, even the judges at the time commented that it was could connect. She, one of I think it was Alicia said, you know, she could hear the audience the audience kind of could identify with the words I was singing. It was like I I put a trance over them, for want of a better word, for those three or four minutes. The big disappointment for me was when I saw it back on TV... They had it cut down to 90 seconds and I sung a five minute song, you know, but that's what TV does, you know.
0: Midlands today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student's Leap Card onboard Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland's network. Visit buserin.ie today. So, having hit
1: the big time on British TV and, of course, worldwide through YouTube, one of Father Ray Kelly's most talked about performances was on RTE pre COVID. Dancing with the Stars.
4: When I was asked to do that, I kind of thought, yeah, that'd be good, you know. But um, had you dancing experience? Well, I could waltz and I could jive and I could quick step. And I thought, like, sure, it'll be a cinch for me, no problem at all. But, like, when I got into it, the waltzes weren't the waltzes I knew. The quick steps weren't the quick steps I knew. I mean, we're into salsas and we're into all different kinds of stuff, you know. So um, And you would have been in your mid-60s at the time. I was 65 at the time. So the old body was, yeah. But I was still in good shape. Well, I still am in good shape, but... Um, but I have a vague recollection. Was your sciatica bothering you at one it, stage? It was. I thought it was sciatica, but actually what it was was I had a torn cartilage. I was actually dancing with a torn cartilage for about ten weeks. Now, that's a good boast. Well, I'm not one for boasting easily, but I didn't realise that. What happened was we were going into rehearsal one day out in Bray, and I remember coming out of the rehearsal and just my, my neat tweet. Mm. And I got into the car and that's that's a bit sore, you know. And I remember telling people about, ah, that's just a bit of sciatica. It'll go the way it came. And I was on painkillers for eight or nine weeks and it hadn't gone. And after the dancing was over, which was just a week before COVID, uh, I went for an MRI on it and lo and behold, torn cartilage. So I had to be operated on. So I figure I was probably dancing with a torn cartilage for a good bit of the show. That's why I only got... Uh, that's why I, I hold the record for the lowest, lowest score. One. <laughs> well,
1: hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know, we always have the concept of the people's champion. Yeah. And you held in there with the people's vote for quite a while. <laughs> I did, yeah. It
4: was, it was amazing. And, you know, at one stage, at one stage I was ready to pull out because I was there about a week... To, I was there about two weeks and I was getting low votes and all that. But then I got one of the nastiest phone calls you could ever get every second word was the F word, and the church, me, the bishop, uh, everybody belonged to me. It was the F word, and I had to be ashamed of myself doing what I'm doing. There was uh, before From I went, a di- man or a woman? Oh, man, yeah, man, yeah, with a Cork and Kerry accent. That's all I know. It's, it's it was the nastiest phone call, and I remember, but and but even before that. I got emails like and ten, anonymous ones mostly, which we tend to ignore. Mm. Um, one said, "Remember what happened to John the Baptist when somebody danced for him; he was beheaded." I don't know whether that was a threat or not.
1: What was their objection? Because you uh, weren't
4: you, you weren't out of the parish. You weren't no, neglecting your duties. No, I was doing nothing. I was working away doing my funerals, baptisms, weddings, the whole whack. It was the whole idea of some people, that, what I like to call the pillars of community don't foresee that a priest should be dancing with, as some of them called it, half-naked women, which they weren't. And the, the production team made sure that Kylie was always dressed properly for everything that I was dancing with, you know. So, I mean, it was just, look oh at it, it's just people out there and... and uh,
1: but it affected you at the oh, time. Oh, it did
4: at the time, yeah. You know, I remember going into Kylie, one of my rehearsals, and I said, I can't do it anymore, I'm out. I said, I'm just I'm out, 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 out. And she said she brought brought in one of the the the, the producers and she, we went for coffee and I explained to her what was going on and about the the phone call and uh, and she said she said look at I says can you not just you know it was the second or third week and there was eliminations had started I says can you not just pull me out look at I don't mm-hmm. mind. Just pull me out. She says, we can't do that. It's an independent company who are keeping the scores, scores. And she says, quite honest with you, you're getting the highest score every week, the voting coming in. So, and I mean, it wasn't for my dancing, but for maybe for my entertainment and people enjoyed it. Because I got hundreds of emails afterwards saying how people loved it and to see a priest doing it. And well, hopefully that erases yeah, the effect does, of the others. It's, it's strange how the old negative stuff tends to stick more so sometimes, you no. know. But anyway, look That's at our that. natural bias. Isn't it really? Survival instinct, you yeah. pay attention to the negative. Yeah, we do. And I got through it anyway, i sure I was there for the semi-quarter finals and then I couldn't, I was knocked out uh, um, what you call it, Lottie and Pasquale who went on to win it. I was in the dance-off with them and they went on to win it. And the next week, all closed down. Mm. It was Sunday, Covid. It was the fi- semi final and final. We couldn't even go to the show, you know. So it was. But like, I've no regrets, you know, but there's just, um, you know, it's. it's, it's a, and I suppose then I got some really nasty um, people who were sort of, um, you know, writing emails to me and stalking me. A lot of stalkers at the time. And there's one lady still stalking me for the last three years sending emails she thinks I'm going out to marry her in Innsbruck in Austria and she's um, totally delusional totally delusional Have you ever met her? Met her very briefly once at my book launch she came over I didn't even know she was coming over how it started was she was I was going to record a new album and I told Gordon my agent at the time I don't have the money for it and she says maybe we'll do a GoFundMe so I says I'm not in favour of that because people think when you make records you have money Mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, he did and got very little response for it but she responded and said she'd be willing to put up 30,000 to for me to make an album and I could pay her back whenever I wanted. So we thought about that and in the meantime one of my dogs died. One of my, Biddy and Buddy had two dogs, King Charles Cavaliers one of them died and I was in no mood to go into a recording studio so it didn't happen and I think that was my saving grace really because um, we turned her down politely but in the meantime then she was watching still and she started emailing me very gradually I saw you in the church last Sunday at mass and uh, thanks for the big wave you gave me and I might have been waving down at somebody in the back of the church you know. and you sung uh, Eagle's Wings last week you know I love that song I think you sung it especially for me just coming in like this Mm. building up, building up, building up and now it got to a stage where she thinks I'm getting in the boat with my dog Barney and going over to marry her and I even wrote, wrote one email to her just one in reply to all this was going on for years because I went to the guards. I went to the, got my solicitor to write to her. She replied to that, I understand. I uh, went to the guards to, told them to put it on the uh, pulse system just in case that hadn't happened to me because maybe she could be totally delusional. And uh, I wrote back to her once to say, I have no intention of marrying you. Personally, I think you're totally delusional. You need help. Please go and get help. I'm not going to Innsbruck, I love being a priest I'm staying a priest and signed it and the next thing an email came back from her can you please change your password somebody has in, uh, in, got into your emails and sent me a nasty email denial Denial. so it's going on still and uh, I um, just kind of ignore it now at this stage but it's hard because it's she's, to, she's. I don't know there's no words for it really how people can be be like
1: that you know do you regret, in some ways, the fame you accumulated over those years? No regrets whatsoever, because,
4: I mean, you know, as a, a priest, I love being a priest. But as a singer, I love being a singer. Mm. And before I ever was a priest, I often had dreams of being a singer. But, like, the dreams never became a reality until I was 60 years of age, you know. So I've no regrets. Um, I, uh, it's, it's not been all sunshine and roses, you know, because as a recording artist, you know, you're up there today and you're down here tomorrow and they can drop you just like the click of the fingers. And that's what basically happened to me with Universal Music as well. So, but with no regrets, I mean, you know, it's on my CV forever. And You have shared
1: with us quite a lot over the last hour, and can I thank you for doing that? My um, Will, thank you. And we look forward to hearing more music. Uh, will you be back in studio? Uh, Yeah, yeah, maybe. You're not ruling it out? No, 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 no,
4: no, no. I think there's a bit of life in the old dog, yes. Good. (laughs) Father Ray Kelly, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Will. My pleasure too, indeed. So that concludes a look at some of our favourite moments from 2023, as voted by you, the listeners of the Midlands Today Show. Certainly, Father Ray Kelly, always generous with his time and a very entertaining character to meet. And Brian Cowan, a man who has so many stories from the world of politics and sport and music and just life in general. This compilation was put together by Sinead Hubble, who indeed does all of the hard work through the year. Thank you to her. Thank you for listening. Carl James is coming next with The Afternoon Show. Good morning.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Éireann. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Éireann services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit busireann.ie today.